welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MSP 1337. It is Tuesday, uh, like all Tuesdays, we post at four o'clock central time. And this week I've got Chad Holstead on with BKS as, uh, is this, this put you in the five timer club, Chad? Something like that. Yeah. Um, something like that. Um, I had, uh, Jim Harriman on and we discussed what color the jacket's going to be. Cause we got to establish that before we can have a jacket for the five timer club. You brought something up to me um, today, and I kind of said, um, this needs to get turned into an episode. So here we go. What does it mean to, I, th- I think the words were being compliant with the products or services that you sell. Not not necessarily from the standpoint of selling compliance per se, um, that we could get into as well. But I think I this- All of the above. Right. But I like any product that one can sell, there's an element of responsibility from a servicing standpoint that isn't always reflected in the delivery model to a client when we say, yes, we can satisfy X problem or challenge that you have, sign here. And a client goes, yay, I'm checking a box. And you incur unknown risk and liability because there are pieces of this that are always going to be unknowns. Is that fair? Maybe that's, yeah, that's a part of it. And it's specifically related to the word compliance. Okay. Cause compliance as a solution provider is this huge thing that's on our plate right now, but yeah. it's really this enigma that nobody's defined. What does compliance mean to you? Well, are you a regulated industry? Are you CMMC compliant? Are you NIST compliant? Are you PCI compliant? Are you HIPAA or are you none of the above? Right. Right. So, as a solution provider, I'm getting asked these questions. And I'm finding that I'm a relatively mature service provider, solution provider. Yes. Pat myself on the back. Hey, wayhoo. I don't think that the risk and liability for me to go to a customer and say, Mr. Customer, if you buy this line item from me, you will satisfy your requirement for XYZ compliance. And based off of, I could I could be selling a tool with it. I could be selling a GRC with it. I could be putting a lot of things into it to give them a lot of deliverables. But at the end of the day, me personally, and I think there's a lot of solution providers that are in my level of maturity that maybe think differently than me, but I don't sell that product as like this check the box and you become compliant kind of solution. We sell, we'll sell you a tool. Yeah. Sure. I don't care what it is. Fort Mason. You, you want to buy a tool from us. We're, we're in the business of selling stuff. Correct. But I'm not going to guarantee a deliverable like compliance without having some type of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here, but there's got to be a cadence. There's got to be buying. There's got to be commitment. There's got to be energy by the client. Right. A lot of these things. Whereas back in the day, customer says, I need email address. Okay. Here's office 365. Literally check the box. It is done. It's an easy tool to deploy. Sure. These newer systems that we're talking about compliance specifically are really ones that are uh, and, we're going to struggle with. And, and to be clear, when we talk about, 
what is compliance in this context, you're talking about products and services that help either ourselves as solution providers or our clients achieve compliance against a set of standards, whether they're regulated or not, or potentially a regulated framework, which obviously incurs potentially a much higher risk or liability in, in being wrong or not doing it correctly. Correct. And um, if you are just getting into, and by the way, every solution provider is going to dabble their toe in this in some way, shape, or form if they haven't already in the next couple months, right? Um, we are going to, we have to, it's going to come. We're going to have to become better at it. That's the rule. It's just going to happen. Right. But if you haven't done anything, if you haven't worked on this in your own business, if you don't know the the rules or the, the the framework of NIST or PCI or those kind of even just a rough draft or rough rough idea of them. Sure. How can you sell that service to a customer? Right. And that's what I'm looking at. I I don't think you have to be compliant in your office to sell compliance. That's my personal thing. Well, well, but well, let's be clear about there's something very important here. Your compliance is unlikely to be the same as the compliance of the client that you're selling this to. Very much. Agreed. So the, there's a balancing act here of like, what am I going to hold myself to from a standard standpoint and then turn around and sell? I, I think the bigger question here is if we're talking about satisfying a request by a client, especially when we start talking about compliance and the perspective. Of, of safeguards and standards and, and potentially regulatory. What are the obligations and responsibilities that I have in my own organization for them to actually satisfy, regardless of what tool or service I might sell? If you yeah. can't answer that question, you have no business selling products and services surrounding compliance. Correct. And, and, and that would be the degree is what I would say that I would arguably I would arguably say that the degree that you have to be, quote, an expert, because who's an expert, but like to have confidence in what you're selling is limited to your responsibilities for either the tool being implemented properly because you're selling it. Mm -hmm. And B, does this require also my level of compliance, too, which has nothing to do with the product or tool. Right. But. But oftentimes the request from a client for a tool or service for them to meet some sort of compliance safeguard doesn't come with the just sell me tools so I can do this. It comes with, oh, and by the way, the next set of questions are going to be the ones that say, and how are you meeting these requirements yeah. that I also have? And then the other piece of this is it's, we all know that our IT is getting less and less. I mean, we've talked about this on podcast before. I'm yeah. not running out and swapping hard drives and RAM anymore, right? We're not doing what we did 20 years ago. We're now talking about, we're writing documents. We're studying policies and procedures. We're working on workflow automations and security controls. It's a total different world that we used to do. Right. And if you don't dictate in your service agreement, your statement of work, your master service agreement, right? what it is that you're doing with this, whatever line that you're selling, okay? I don't really care what it is. The customer is going to assume you're doing more than you are. Right. Especially related to the word compliance. If you sell your customer compliance as a service, they are going to, just those three words, compliance as a service, they're going to assume by buying that from you, 
they are compliant against whatever framework they need to be compliant against. Yeah. And they're not going to want to put a lot of effort into it. I, that's my concern with solution providers in the, that I'm talking to right now is everybody's telling them go sell compliance as a service. It's the next big boom. They're not wrong. Right. right? Holy cow. This is the, in my opinion, one of the biggest landmines as an industry we could step on. If you're not so, doing it right, your cyber, be prepared for a lawsuit. That's my opinion. Well, I, I think that's, and I think that's kind of a given. And I was actually talking about this with uh, Alex uh, Farling today um, in his new gig over at uh, Empath. Uh, I think it's Empath Security. They, they focus on training. Um, lots coming from those guys here in the near future. Um. But one of the things we were talking about is I, I said, uh, and I and I say this with emphasis on this is no disrespect to ASCII or any CompTIA, you name it. We all have this sort of uh, syndrome that happens, and I used to call it shiny object syndrome, but that's not. This is this goes a little bit beyond the shiny object syndrome. Shiny object syndrome, for those of you who don't know, is go to a show be sold something that because it's at a discounted price and it looks shiny and hey, I might need this whether I do or don't, I buy it and oftentimes don't implement it right away or even for an extended period of times. Uh, I know Charles Love could tell you that I think with one product, I think it was just shy of two years before we implemented it. Um, so there's that, um, shame on me. Um, but in this context of what we call uh, I, I used to call it ASCII syndrome, and it's not. It's it's any fill-in-the-blank show that has vendor pavilion, right? And what happens is, and why I call it syndrome or uh, bad, just bad mojo, is that I buy a product because I know I have a client who has a need for said product or service. I get at the show like, wow, this solves the problem with client X. I had no idea this even existed. I buy it, I leave the show, I go implement it, and it goes anything but right. It's completely a, a a blast zone radius that I can't even begin to climb out of this crater I find myself in. But want everybody to know that the only fault in this was the vendor. It was the vendor's fault that this happened. They got um, they are really, really good at selling. <laughs> yeah, and it's their fault, right? So no one wants to look at how much training is required, how much FTE resources might be consumed in order to successfully implement and leverage a product. We, we already know, and most of those listening to this who are doing anything in the cybersecurity space know that whatever tool you buy that's adding value to your clients from a preventative nature or from a... Uh, response because an event is occurring, incidents occurring, and it takes action. That requires eyes on glass, and it requires automation resources and configuration to be done in such a way so that you actually benefit from these tools, right? But none of us, none of us want to take that into consideration when we see two things, opportunity, hey, this is going to be, I can close this deal. I can win back their loyalty. Uh, yep. I can bring on net new clients. And then the second one is, and it'll make my staff lives easier. Those are the two scenarios that we see all the time. Which one do you see play out in the real world, Chad? Um, 
it's all of the above. Right? But you never I, I see it. I, I would say yeah. never. I buy it. It never happens the way we think it's going to. No. And actually, it's it's ironic because I bought, at the last conference I went to, I bought three products. Jeez, um, man, you're out of control. Yeah. One of them, we purposely pushed back until third quarter. I told him when I bought. I said, don't bill me. Don't talk to me. You're third in line. <laughs> Which totally helped because that means number one and line. number two actually got implemented because we were pushing for this third one. Okay. Yeah. So, but I'm also of the, uh, like Charles loves things. Like we don't buy product unless it's October kind of thing. Right. Um, which totally helps. I just, I just saw a meme appear right now in my head. It's like vendor calls. I've got a deal for you. It's a great deal. And you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's still September. You're going to have to call back when we're making decisions about vendor products. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the the more important is there is, especially around the compliance conversation. I mean, we're talking about compliance today. We're on 1337, right? Right. The, the whole part about this is there isn't a smoking gun. There isn't a single tool out there that does what M, the service pro, or solution providers want. Right. They want somebody that's going to come in and they go, if I give Chris an email address or a logon to this system, he goes in and he reads these three documents, checks those four boxes, and we do a network scan and we verify that we've done these five controls. It's done, right? Right. There's no tool out there that will just walk you through it. There is so much legwork that we have to, and a customer's change. There Sometimes it's a literal change of culture. You know, we have one customer that we are just now pushing MFA to, and they fought us for it forever. They're like, it doesn't work in our business model. I'm like, I don't, he called me the other day. It was kind of funny. He's a really good friend of mine. And he goes, I don't like this. He goes, I want to get rid of it. I'm like, you don't have a choice. Right. Literally, we waited as long as we could and Microsoft tipped our hand on this one. <laughs> right. Like, hey, guess what? I don't have to be the bad guy on this. Look at it. Mike's fault. Microsoft's fault. Like, yeah. who's Microsoft? Oh, that's that guy that you know lives in our basement. Yeah. You've never heard of him before? That's because we try so, to keep him in the dark. It's it my biggest point with all of this is that as as solution providers, the tools aren't going to solve our problem. They're going to help us solve our problem. All right. We have to know our problem, our tools. Um, but our biggest responsibility is being completely transparent with the customers as to what they're getting with our services and what the expectations from both sides are. Because right. if you don't be clear, they will assume the highest level of service. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So so if you don't, if you're not clear to the client what they're getting, th this kind of goes back to that bronze, silver, gold idea, not yep. so much from the selling perspective, but being clear about what you're getting for what you're paying for, that it doesn't right. include some, this isn't like going to In-N-Out or Starbucks and ordering off the hidden menu, right? Correct. Like the, the client, if the client knows about hidden items on your menu, you're in trouble because they ordered that and you didn't even know you had it on your menu. Yep. And if you don't know it's on your menu and you sell it, you're going to be in trouble. And right. a tool isn't going to, you're not going to tool your way out of this one. You need to learn and read and become knowledgeable and understand what a policy and a procedure and a control, what they all mean kind of thing. 
So, so let's walk through this. We've got some time. A um, couple things have, are, are coming to mind. And one of them is, especially when we're talking about compliance, compliance isn't products and services. Products and services can help you achieve compliance, but by their very nature, they're just not, they're not the de facto answer to the question, right? Like there, I don't know that there's any safeguard that you can really answer and say, uh, yep, I have duo, therefore problem solved. Uh, there's so many things that go with that, right? And, and configuration being one of them and the configuration piece requires people. And that configuration isn't requiring people just because you need people to implement the configuration, but you need people to agree upon what is the configuration going to look like and what does success look like when it's implemented correctly. The vendor can't tell you that. The vendor can tell you when you've implemented it incorrectly as far as the product goes, but they can't tell you based on risk or what level of um, uh, secure baseline you have in your organization before the duo or whatever the MFA is going to allow you in to the, to the platform saying, oh yeah, we Chad's, Chad's secure, we're going to let him in. That, that's on you, that's on, on the people side. And so I think when you go in with, I'm buying say Duo or Okta or fill in the blank, if you're buying with the idea that this is going to address or solve the problem, then you will always be in failure mode. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've solved what your configuration needs to look like for you to be successful, like I know I needed to have these three things checked off before it allows someone in, well, now you're going and looking at products to make decisions around addressing what you've defined is going to be your policy process and procedures, right? So anybody that's shopping for products and services that hasn't identified answers to either policy scope or the safeguard itself is putting the cart before the horse and they're going to spend so much money and be so frustrated long-term. I think we're going to start seeing businesses that actually can put themselves at risk of going out of business because you can only change your shoes so many times before you run out of money to buy shoes. Well, and yeah, or I'm buying that one tool. I don't care what it is. Widget one, two, three, because it solves that one problem for that customer. Oh, by the way, that customer can't be unique. So it's good. I'm guaranteed. Now I can go sell this to other customers. Well, maybe that customer is unique, or maybe you don't realize the actual true scope of what the customer is asking you, right. right? If you don't really evaluate the reason for the product, the tool, the whole nine yards, before you buy it, you're buying shelfware. And like you said, well, I can only buy a certain amount of shoes, and then I'm going to run out of money to buy more shoes. Guess we got to start making shoes ourselves. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and, so how, how do you approach that? Writers actually made the most money as they built the tool and <laughs> sold the tool to Kaseya, right? <laughs> right. So, 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 so Chad, we, we, we joked about Charles and addressing products in a certain time of year. And, and part of that isn't just tied to um, the resources consumed to implement or make changes, you know, from one product to the other. Some of it is is tied, obviously, to what impact does this have on existing contracts in terms of service mm -hmm. where uh, you switch from product A to product B that has a different feature set. And you could, I mean, I could see somewhat of a problem um, emerging if you went from, like, say, a Duo to an Intune and the client's like, man, we love the way Duo operates. And and please be clear, I'm I'm speculating that they said this. I wasn't implying that because yeah. duo is good or bad, that kind of thing. But but like 
you're running into this. Like, how do you navigate when you're making a decision? What's what's the number one driver for you when you're making a decision on whether or not I need to buy a product or service in order to enable success with a client? So to go back to the beginning of this conversation, first and foremost is I'm looking at it from a compliancy standpoint, vendor due diligence, vendor management. We've talked about like, are you a big enough? Do I even want to do business with you? Okay. Are you a mom and pop throwaway company that's not going to be here tomorrow? Right. Two, what, what are you solving for me and why? If you're just solving for me that you can take the trash out better, I'm not really analyzing that right now. Right. But if you're solving problems that we're facing in the real world, compliance solutions um, or a security control that is getting called out in a compliance solution like Duo, right? Yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. Now you're solving a problem for me, but are you solving a problem for one customer or are you solving a problem for 50 customers? Because if you're solving it for one, then I got a problem with that one. That means I have a one-off and it probably doesn't fit in my stack and I should look at the customer. Right? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So let's talk about the one-off. I think that there's there are several scenarios where one-offs, in my opinion, well, I wouldn't say several. There's at least one scenario where I can think of that one-offs can be a huge a huge win. And, and that's when you recognize like, hey, this might be a one-off and it's unique. I'm going to see where this goes because there's an opportunity here if I'm successful here to essentially they are by their very nature, the guinea pig for a potential Correct. path taken. And- when we get back to the co- the conversation about compliance and solution providers selling compliance as a service, a lot of solution providers like us are going off and they're picking that one off and they're going, I'm going to sell you, Chad, compliance as a service. Right. And I'm going to learn off of you. I've never done this before. Hopefully you and I have a good enough relationship. We can, man, we can get through this and I'm going to learn so I sell it better the next time. Right. That's great. But you're still putting yourself at risk because a tool didn't solve your problem, you have to be there with everything that the customer's expectations are there. Yeah. And, and the, 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 in the compliance world, at least what I'm seeing, tools do not solve compliancy, tools solve controls. Right. And so many solution providers want tools to solve compliance. Yeah, and and I I might phrase that a little bit differently. I think I think that the tools and services that we might subscribe to enable us to be successful, especially when you get into things that require uh, a a large volume of input. So I wouldn't if you're a ten person shop and you're limited on your uh, assets to say the laptop and a cell phone and maybe a desk phone that can probably get reasonable to manage as far as authorized assets go. And if you get into the application side, maybe it's limited to defaults with 365 and a few other things. Maybe that's realistic to say, I'm just going to manually plug this into an Excel spreadsheet. But even at that size of scale, relatively small, um, it's easier to do with a tool. It's, It's easier to at least have a lot of the data fields get populated by what a RMM or or automation tool does, but I don't know that I would want to ever lead with it solves the safeguard just because of the risk that it has with 
I still have to write down and be clear about how someone who looks over my shoulder to see if I actually did solve this, if I did. So the tool by itself, even if it truly can solve the safeguard, and I don't want to admit that it can, that's that's my own mm -hmm. challenge maybe, but what if I'm wrong? What if, what if I, like, I don't know that I would ever want to be definitive in saying that it's solved because there's a couple things at work. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, for any safeguard in a framework that a tool I buy solves the safeguard 100%. Who's responsible for the roadmap of the product that I'm putting in there to solve said safeguard? So well, that's my point. A tool can solve the safeguard, right? Duo puts in MFA, right? It's a control recalled out that the MFA is required. But the compliance, who's responsible for the roadmap? Who's responsible for the verification that it's configured correctly? What are the configurations? What's the policy, the procedure? Follow, solving for a safeguard is different than solving compliance. There you go. Completely. And there is not a tool. There is people that will tell you there is a tool. There's multiple out there that sell themselves as the tool to be compliant. We'll scan your network. We'll tell you which which controls are not being implemented. Right. We'll give you policies for it. We'll give you a checkbox and a, and a, a self assetation right? That kind of thing. Right. But that's the, the not- The proof. An, yes. But so that's a false, that tool, the compliance tool for me is the frustration one because it's a self, it's a, it's a false positive. Right, because we as an as a solution provider go great. I just put that software in your environment, Chris. Log on, check the boxes. Now we're done. No, we have to have meetings. We have to set proof. We have to document. We have to write documents. Right, you know that kind of stuff. Does that make right. sense? Right, the the yeah no, I I think that's a good way to say it. That uh, having a tool to address a safeguard uh, still requires compliance for you to be successful with it. Otherwise the tool actually, you can never guarantee that it always stays true, right? No, correct. But by, by focusing on the compliance side of this, the evidence, the, the proof, proof in the pudding, if you will, you're, you're getting down you're getting into how any of us can be successful. So we've got a few minutes left. If, if I look at this through the lens of talking about sort of where we kind of have wandered a little bit here on, on compliance in general, um, mapping to frameworks, mapping to safeguards. I feel like we're getting into an area where this is um, largely going to be contingent upon the clients I serve. If I am being asked to provide products or services or or any sort of, and services could be our our solution provider providing consulting or guidance to a client, we have to be able to do this, right? Like we can't just say, yeah, write us a check. We've hired third party X over here to do everything that you think you need to have done. I'm not saying that there isn't the ability for a third party to provide say specifics around, maybe you're not good at HIPAA framework or 800-171 and you have a third party you wanna bring in. But this gets into an area of like, how confident are you that you're not on the hook for a lot of the things that you need, the, cl the client needs to have happen in their environment. Because I think in many cases, client-driven obligations around their need from insurance, industry served, et cetera, is going to have some weight and responsibility and burden of proof placed on the solution provider that's putting that stuff in. Yes, that I agree with that. 
And the solution provider needs to be aware of all of that and make sure that they understand what's going on. Because the solution, just to circle all the way back to the beginning. Sure, sure. The solution provider, if they do not clarify what services and expectations are going to be delivered, mm -hmm. the customer is going to assume the greatest amount of services. Right. The and hidden menu items. Correct. And you know how you know what assume spells, right? So make sure that you document what it is you're doing and know what it is that you're doing before you go out there and use the by the way. I think it's a silent A, by the way. It just means sue me. <laughs> there you go. Um, but every marketing person in the world right now is telling MSPs, go out and sell compliance as a service. Be careful what you do. That's my thought. I will have no problem selling compliance services, right? I will I will help you write a policy. I'll help you write a thing, but I'm not going to sell you compliance as a service. Well, and there's a lot of them that when you talk about compliance as a service, they're, they're really helping you collect the artifacts through tools and automation to support what you just said, right? If I have a policy in place and I've got the right tool in place, well, what's collecting and maintaining the integrity of that? And if you could automate that, like I'm all in, right? Like if I, if I can automate 80% of what I'm doing, count me, sign me up, right? Like take, take as much of the evidence collecting off of my manual plate. I don't want to have to open my toolbox if I don't have to. Yep. I agree. So do you and, think that there's some that you can do that with? Sure. Just know that you've got it. Once again, document and give the expectations. Right. If the customer is checking a box and if I get a call and the customer says, Chad, I need to be CMMC compliant. And I say, great. You know what? BKS is awesome. We sell CMMC compliance as a service. Right. The customer just heard. I just checked the box. <laughs> right. Does that right. make sense? Absolutely. makes sense. Document what you're selling and just go from there. That's it. Yeah. So. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, any parting thoughts uh, with regards to this? I mean, I feel like we, may come across as sounding like we're talking about specific MSPs at times, but I can tell you, I have heard this out of the mouths of many. Yes. Uh, this is not unique to any one MSP. In fact, I, you know, like I said, I was talking to Alex about it this morning and, you know, MSPs have a problem and it's often driven by the way in which they engage vendors. And that is uh, what do you have that solves problem X? And they don't think about how much money, or, or resources it's going to take to implement. And of course the vendor wants to sell them the product. I think the MSP's problem, this is a pot kettle scenario, I do it too. I think the MSP's problem is more on the customer side. They're unwilling to say no. They want that revenue. They wanna say yes. They wanna say yes. They wanna say yes. And we all have to learn to say no because there's better people out there to do that job sometimes. Yeah, I would agree with sense. that. Yeah, so absolutely. It, it goes both ways. It's, it's both on the vendor and the customer side, but I think you're right. So that's basically what I got for the day. I think that pretty much covers it. So for those of you listening, you've been, you know, a victim of MSP 1337. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks.